I'm Damian Bulwa, and this is Fifth and Mission. On Tuesday night, California Governor Gavin Newsom gave his third State of the State speech. But this one was very different from the first two, or any of the others in the state's history. Instead of the traditional morning address to a joint session of the legislature, the governor, who's under pressure over his pandemic response and facing a possible recall, scheduled his speech in the evening. He spoke in Dodger Stadium in front of about 56,000 empty seats. That number represents, roughly, how many people have died in California from COVID-19. For coverage of the speech, we're going to turn over Fifth and Mission to It's All Political, the Chronicle's politics podcast hosted by Joe Garofoli. Joe's guests are the Chronicle's Sacramento reporters, Alexi Kossoff and Dustin Gardner. The three of them sat down late Tuesday night after Newsom's speech. Here's It's All Political. Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today we're talking about Gavin Newsom and his state of the state speech. Now, let's be real here. Most of the time, the only people who care about this annual speech are reporters and political insiders. But this year is different. There will likely be a recall campaign against Newsom sometime later this fall, and his poll numbers have been let's just say wobbly to say the least. Plus, California has been struggling to come up to speed distributing the COVID vaccine. Most of the state's public schools are still closed to in-person learning. Here to break down Newsom's speech in light of all this are two reporters who cover Sacramento every day for the Chronicle, Alexi Kossoff and Dustin Gardner. And now here's our conversation, which was recorded shortly after we watched the speech. Oh, and, and a welcome to our friends who are listeners of the Fifth and Mission podcast. Glad to have you here. I hope you enjoy this and come back again. Alexi Kossoff and Dustin Gardner, welcome back to It's All Political. It's been too long. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, very glad to join you. Yes, we all have just experienced the magic of the State of the State Address. And before we dive into this, let's uh, do a little scene setting here. Because typically, as we know, we've all been to the State of the State many times. It's done in Sacramento in the state capitol before the whole legislature there. And typically, uh, nobody cares about it besides the uh, reporters and political insiders. And, uh, you know, we and everybody has their own style of doing it. Uh, we used to take bets when Jerry Brown was governor to see if he'd last his speech would last longer than 15 minutes or how many Latin phrases he'd drop in it just just to make it interesting. But, as we, you know, as we said in our previews of the story, this is one of the most staged managed states of the state in recent memory. It was a Dodger Stadium which, of course, for us Giants fans, is a very nauseating sight. Um, Alexi, why was Newsom at an empty Dodger Stadium, and what was the symbolism he was trying to portray there? Well, on the most practical level, he was at Dodger Stadium because we're in the middle of a coronavirus pandemic and gathering 120 lawmakers plus guests and media and the public was not really a feasible thing to do this year. Um, but obviously he could have tried to pick somewhere that was a little less picturesque. And instead he went for something that would give him a really kind of bold backdrop an attention grabbing scene for uh, a speech that is not usually in the evening hours, but he bumped it to 6 p.m. so he could coincide with the evening news hour. And 
he has been on this tour for the past couple weeks of vaccine sites all up and down the state, including Dodger Stadium. And so he went there this evening to highlight that work once again, which he you know, has really tried to lean into the past couple weeks to sort of salvage the public perception of the vaccine rollout in California. And uh, what's more, he sort of said in the speech, there are 56,000 people who can usually be in Dodger Stadium, and the place was mostly empty tonight. And the number of empty seats there was about the same as the number of Californians who died from COVID-19 over the past year. So a little bit of, you know, political uh, metaphor there to just drive home the reality of this for the public. Yeah. And honoring the dead, as, as Biden did a couple of weeks ago, which is something we haven't seen, uh, you know, from certainly our former president. Um, Dustin, there was there's uh, behind Newsom, there are large video screens that we're going to a little bit more about the, what this looked like because it was so unusual featuring members of the legislature. We saw a few big city mayors. I think I saw Robert Garcia of Long Beach there. I saw Oakland's uh, Libby Schaaf, my own mayor here in Oakland. Um, and and there were during the in the speech, there were there were photos and videos playing that <clears throat> illustrate, you know, people getting vaccines and first responders. What did, what did you think the effect of that was? What, 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 what was going on there? Yeah, I mean, it definitely seemed a lot more stagecrafted than his past state of the state speeches. They had that because it wasn't, you know, at the legislature in front of the legislative body. They had that ability to stage manage the images that were coming up. And, you know, there were times when legislators, you know, applauded on the screen, um, you know, with their, you know, their faces kind of front and center. And then, yeah, they had the backdrops of different, you know, showing essential workers or grocery workers, small businesses. And yeah, I mean, I think just the optics of it, it was a lot more like some sort of like primetime event than, than a speech, but in, inside the, you know, the state assembly, which is kind of an old, older, you know, fairly old building where he would be behind a, po a marble podium. And in this case, it really, you know, it kind of had more the feeling of like a, a political rally in some senses. I mean, there was a lot of somber tones to the things that he said, but that was a critique of some of his uh, opponents was that they felt like it was a little bit showy and attention grabbing. And th they were critical of that specifically. Uh, you know, it reminded me a little bit of the way that the Democrats did their um, national convention for Biden over the summer, because all throughout Newsom's speech, they had these prepared little video packages too, with this B roll. Every time he was talking about, you know, the fires, they had these, you know, fire videos. And when he was talking about the vaccine rollout, they had these little prepared video, you know, it, they were really thinking about the fact that people might be watching this this time. Um, and even despite that, <laughs> there was a helicopter noise in the background that kind of threatened to overshadow part of the speech. <laughs> well, I saw, which I, based, one second, I which, saw, saw something on Twitter where there was a, a police chase. A police in, chase. In, in yeah. LA. So, you know, you can stage manage things to smithereens, but once you get outdoors... There's always risk. <laughs> and, and, you know, in the L.A. stations, they're going to be cutting away from the from the governor to to go follow the police chase, you know, with, at the drop of a hat. Let's move on to the to the substance of the speech here. Despite all that the governor is going through, you know, is this was an upbeat speech, as, as you guys have alluded to. He said California wasn't just going to come back from the pandemic. It's going to come roaring back. All right. Let's I'm going to play you a clip of, of Newsom and then we'll talk about it on the other side, as they say. 
You know, Dr. King once said, only when it's dark enough can you see the stars. So tonight, under the lights of this stadium, even as we grieve, let's allow ourselves to, to dream of brighter days ahead. Because we won't be defined by this moment. We'll be defined by what we do because of it. After all, we are California. We don't wait for someone else to show us the way forward. We go first and we go boldly. We led in gay rights, gun rights, and criminal justice reform. And now we lead on combating COVID. Alexi, let's, uh, little, let's do a little quick fact checking here. Did California really meet the moment and lead on COVID? Or is the governor just sort of sunshine and rain, rainbowing us here? It really depends on what metric you're looking at and what uh, time period. Certainly early on in the pandemic, uh, California was the first state in the country to adopt a, uh, a statewide stay-at-home order and... Things seemed to be going relatively well here compared to other places because we took a lot of per precautions early on. But, um, you know, flash forward nine months and the wintertime surge over the holidays was abysmal. You know, we were seeing tens of thousands of new cases every single day, hundreds of people dying every single day. Just really, really tragic situation that was among the worst in the country. So it is definitely cherry picking um, to say that California was leading. Um, and, you know, right now we're, we're probably kind of in the middle of the pack in terms of, you know, death rate or case rate. Um, per capita or, you know, even vaccine rate. I mean, we're, we're not really leading the nation in any particular metric, but we're not the worst. Yay. <laughs> uh, and these, there was a, also a couple other stats where Newsom's new favorite stat is that we are giving more vaccines than several countries. We are the world's fifth largest economy, so we should be doing that. Uh, so a little, little bit of perspective there. You know, at last year's State of the State, Newsom devoted almost all of it to homelessness. Uh, here was tossed off in a line or two. Dustin, what else didn't we hear about? And what, did, what other kind of issues did he talk about? And what did, were you surprised that he didn't talk much about? Um, yeah, I mean, I think one of the most dramatic differences this year from past years is that, you know, he really didn't lay out any major policy goals that, that weren't previously known. You know, he talked about things that he had been doing to address the pandemic. And he talked about, you know, some of his general priority areas like school reopenings, um, you know, a plan that had already been put out there. He talked about um, stimulus checks that residents had received. That's already been done. You know, he talked about wildfires and wanting to confront climate change. Um, but even with, you know, with fires, he didn't really get specific about what new ideas he wanted to pursue there. So it was a lot of sort of aspirational messaging and um, touting past uh, accomplishments or, or what he's doing to sort of stabilize the ship at this point. But, you know, I was surprised he didn't talk more, especially when it came, you know, to climate, that he didn't talk more about some of his goals on electric vehicles. Um, and with fires, for example, he could have uh, spoken more about some of his goals for the budget to increase funding for CAL FIRE staffing. It just There were a lot of opportunities where he could have had more specific and more substance in those policy areas. And he just chose to keep it very generic. And he really, you know, kind of almost ran through this thing. It was, I timed it and it was 28 minutes, 25 seconds um, from the time he started talking to the time he walked away from the podium. And that just, you know, for him, that just seems like lightning speed, I thought. Oh, my God. 
God, that's well, it like, felt that's like he was talking at lightning speed. I like could barely keep up. He was going <laughs> so fast. Well, yeah. I, I think they had the he had the time. He, they wanted to be you know within a half hour. Uh, and but uh, yeah, that was it, that must be a new Newsome indoor record that that twenty eight <laughs> minutes. So we have to we have to go back and, and check that because remember. For our listeners, our San Francisco listeners, they remember when the man delivered the seven and a half hour, hour state of the city address when he was mayor of San Francisco. He said, uh, you know, he did uh, point out that it was broken up into uh, two parts. So, so yeah, but even just in the past couple of years, I mean, he's had these marathon budget press conferences, for oh. example, where he tries to show off sort of his intimate knowledge of every single detail and facet of this budget. I sat through a three and a half hour one uh, two years ago, which was excruciating because I was so hungry. Um, but yeah, but and, and Dustin's right. So it was it was very odd, like almost how much he glossed over everything this time, even even some of the things that you might sort of pull out as as significant accomplishments, you know, to the point that last year he had spoken exclusively about homelessness. Um, you know, he he has sort of something that people acknowledge as a victory in the past year of using um, pandemic funds to get thousands of homeless people into into um, housing. And he kind of just nodded to that briefly in the speech, but, you know, didn't really dwell on it too much. It's interesting for someone who spent his career really taking pride in being a policy wonk and, you know, he really likes to kind of tout that. Um, this was really much more about style than it was about details and substance, which I thought was interesting. I, I will give him credit for this. That's a good, a good point, both you guys on that. But I will give him credit for he definitely spoken almost like a, a human being uh, <laughs> speaks. And there was no like... And we have to get our youngest cohorts back to class. The youngest cohorts that, that makes my head explode. I, you mean children um, or, or kids or but not youngest cohorts. Those are that's a, a terrible thing to keep saying. But he there was don't you think that the, the, his language was much more, you know, real person than he usually is? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much that came across, though, when he when he was racing to get through it so quickly, like I, I wouldn't say it felt like there was particularly a lot of emotion or, um, you know, feeling behind it, you know, despite sort of these great pronouncements from him that we're going to make this comeback and all these things like that. I mean, it wasn't delivered, you know, in, in this effort to get through it so quickly, it wasn't delivered in this great oratorical way that, that really made it, resonate with people necessarily even if they understood what he was saying now yeah they, oh, go ahead dustin you want to add something well yeah and i was just going to say you know he started on that really somber note pointing to all you know the, these you know fifty six thousand empty seats and you know talking about first responders but then the tone of the speech by the end had completely changed and had taken on this much more kind of optimistic yeah we're going to charge back tone and you know he walked out away from the podium with uh, the song california stars playing i guess which is originally a woody guthrie song talking about sort of the the folklore of california and the promise of california and, and yeah i mean if, if the point was to express a lot of emotion um for, for those lost in the state of the pandemic that the tone completely shifted yeah. Also, that that version that he's playing is the Wilco version, which was his campaign song. So that kind of gave the I was like, oh, this is kind of a campaigny event. You know, that that was mm -hmm. kind of resonated with me. But that's that's a good point about the uh, 
the Woody Guthrie origins there. Okay, let's go to uh, clip two here, because uh, you, you know we say there's no there's no emotion there. The governor did express uh, some humility. You know, I, I know our progress hasn't always felt fast enough. And look, we've, we've made mistakes. I, I have made mistakes, but we own them. We learn from them and we never stop trying. After all, that's that's the California spirit. We're bent, but not broken. Uh, Dustin, what's the governor referring to? Is it when he's talking, is he talking about the, uh, you know, uh, mistakes he made? Are we talking about his infamous meal at the French Laundry? That's an international story that our very own Alexei Kosov uh, broke. <laughs> or is he talking about you know, closing businesses or, or what? Or is, he, is that just in one of those insincere I'm sorry's that we all, we all offer from time to time? I mean, yeah, well, the way he framed it, um, we don't know specifically what he's referring to. I mean, it seems like he was likely referring to the French Laundry episode and, you know, probably likely referring to some of the slow rollout with the, the, va the vaccine distribution. Um, perhaps he, he was referring to the, the slow pace of school reopenings. Um, but, you know, really, yeah, we don't, we don't know. And that's I mean, that's what was sort of interesting about it was it wasn't like he he gave us any general sense of, oh, I, you know, we could do this better and we've made progress. It was just sort of like we, we we've, were providing a national example on vaccines. And it was just kind of it glossed over a lot of the, the realities of, of the missteps, um, which, yeah, to me, it was. It was a generic, I've made mistakes in a way that, that uh, you don't have to admit your mistakes, I suppose. <laughs> or spell them out, yes. <laughs> we'll have more of our conversation about Governor Newsom's State of the State speech after this short break. And now, back to our conversation with Alexei Kosov and Dustin Gardner about Governor Newsom's State of the State speech. In the shadow of this is, of course, the recall. Uh, in, in the next few days, uh, the deadline is coming up. It looks like they're going to have enough signatures. We'll see if they are enough valid signatures, but they, they certainly have gotten, uh, what, close to two million now. And uh, we could be uh, voting on uh, whether to kick Gavin Newsom out of office or not in sometime this fall, October or November. He did refer to the recall, albeit obliquely. Let's go now to clip three. And I just want you to know, we're not going to change course just because of, of a few naysayers and, and doomsdayers. So to the California critics out there who are promoting partisan political power grabs with outdated prejudices and rejecting everything that makes California truly great, we say this. We will not be distracted from getting shots in arms and our economy booming again. This is a fight for California's future. So the uh, the naysayers and the doomsdayers, I, that sounds like two bands that toured together in the 70s. Um, <laughs> what the, so is this a preview of how Newsom's going to fight the recall here by calling its backers California critics with outdated prejudices? This is a fight for California's future. What did we learn from this, uh, Alexi, about, about how Newsom's going to going to start swinging back? Yeah, I mean, to your point, this may have been an oblique reference, but it, you know, it sort of took me aback when uh, I heard it because for months now, he's been asked at nearly every public opportunity about the recall. And he's had this stock answer. I am focused on vaccines or I'm focused on school reopenings or whatever it is that he's there to talk about. And he immediately, you know, redirects it away. And so for him to even make this kind of statement about it, you know, this was 
a, his first public acknowledgement that he could really be facing this threat. And I found that notable that he chose to do that in this speech. I found it notable that he um, really painted the people who are trying to get him removed from office as sort of these almost enemies of California, you know, opposed to our values, opposed to um, the you know, the pandemic response, creating a distraction and, you know, basically undermining his efforts to drive California into this more equitable future that he painted. So that was a really interesting preview to me of what I expect um, will be his sort of campaign message over the next, you know, six months or so, whenever this thing, you know, finally gets um, you know, qualifies for the ballot. You know, he he is the one trying to create a more just future for California. And these people are getting in the way, basically. Yeah. Um, anything else jump out of you guys uh, about the speech tonight? Anything else that you're, you're going to be uh, we will be uh, thinking about in the next couple of days? Or or will this is this something that will disappear into the ether very soon. I thought it was interesting, you know, just what we were just talking about with the recall, um, you know, uh, the allusion he made to the recall. I thought it was interesting that he specifically used that language of outdated, outdated prejudices. And I, there was some fretting among the recall camp, I, I surmised ahead of the speech of what the reference to them might be. And um, it's interesting that he went with that language because one of the things the Democrats have tried to do is create this narrative that the recall um, is, is supported by white nationalists, by extremist groups. You know, I think it was just about um, five weeks ago that the state Democratic Party tried to specifically tie the recall to the attack on the U.S. Capitol. Um, and so I, I, I wondered, you know, is that language him trying to sort of allude to that idea? And there is some evidence that the recall folks um, have ties to, to groups like the Proud Boys or others, some some folks associated with the recall. But they really haven't been able to demonstrate with very convincing proof that the main organizers are are part of those groups. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he tries to explain that, that language a little more. I mean, this was clearly an effort to, you know, sort of launch his, um, you know, his governorship forward to kind of a new chapter, a more hopeful chapter, get the public back on his side. I don't know how much this is really going to succeed in that way. I spoke with a Democratic political consultant after the speech who felt like he kind of struck the wrong tone, that he was too sort of cheerful and optimistic and that people you know, maybe needed to hear a little bit more that he was sympathizing with the struggles and the pain that they're still going through. So, you know, this was kind of a big moment and it's not clear that it's going to get him very far as he, you know, has to potentially fight this recall election over the next couple of months. Yeah. And I think some of the language in the his comments there is is a little bit of a preview. He's going to also try and make these folks look like a bunch of Trump supporters. We know how unpopular the president is here. 30 percent approval rating. The former president is here. Um, and I, that will be a, a nod to that. Um, oh, one more thing. Uh, uh, we had a pre-bottle tonight <laughs> from, from one of the Republicans who is uh, likely going to take on. Uh, Newsom, if, if the recall does qualify, um, 
Kevin Faulkner, the former San Diego mayor. Justin, what did what did we learn from the Kevin Faulkner pre-buttle? Um, yeah, it was interesting that Faulkner <laughs> decided to come out with this pre-buttle. I think it was more than two and a half hours before the speech that he sent that he blasted this out to the press and on social media. Um, but yeah, I mean, Faulkner really tried to portray that this speech is Newsom being out to save his own hide and being sort of driven largely by self-interest. And it um, go, goes pretty well in line with what I think we've, we've seen him say about Newsom before. Yeah. All right. Well, boys, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Uh, and we, we should do this. We've got to do this more often. This is, this is wonderful. I'm sure we'll have plenty of opportunities <laughs> as this campaign gets going. Once, once we see the 500 uh, strippers and uh, and uh, and social media influencers, child actors, yeah, yeah. child actors, and all the other crazy. Oh well, who's your yeah? Who's your guess for who the uh, surprise celebrity candidate is going to be? I actually had a consultant <laughs> say to me. Uh, and I will not reveal this consultant's name because if Will if Will Smith jumps in, it's over. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's that's not happening. We're not having the, the Fresh Prince is not going to be the, the the governor of California. Um, okay, thanks, boys. We will see you soon. Thanks so much. All right, Bye. thanks, guys. I'd like to thank you all for listening, and hope that you and your families are safe and healthy. I'd like to thank Alexi and Dustin for stopping by today. I'd like to thank Taya Francesca Price for producing today's episode. A shout out to our fabulous theme song, which is Cattle Call. And now it's written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. And remember, whether you're a naysayer and a doomsdayer, or whether you're Mr. Sunshine and Rainbows, it's all political. <laughs>